0: All right, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the We're Having a Good Time podcast. My name is Dusty Slay, and I'm the host. And uh, I'm back. I'm back up in here. Sorry I missed last week. I was not feeling well, and I kept being like, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it, and then suddenly, uh, I didn't do it. So, um, but I feel fine. I did not have coronavirus. Um... But if I did, I wouldn't tell. (laughs) No, I didn't have it. I just, uh, you know, I'm always dealing with some stomach issues. And I hate, that's what I hate about uh, the coronavirus is that if I tell you I'm sick, you think, oh, no, this guy's got the virus. So I got to be way too specific about what kind of sickness I have just so you know that's not what it is. I like the old days when we just tell people we're sick and we go, hey, let's leave it at that, you know. Uh, We don't have to call, call in sick here. But I feel great. I've been going through, I've been trying to do like a lot of different kinds of detoxes, you know. I've been trying to really flush the body. For years of my life, I ate terrible, I ate awful things. And slowly... I've been getting better about what I eat. Just a little bit at a time, I get better and better about the way that I eat, about the way that I live, and, um, I feel like, based on things that I've read, when you hit a real detox place, your body starts getting rid of things, and you don't always feel great, and I think that's what happened to me last week. Um because I've been to the doctor a few times about different things and the doctor's always like, "Let me give you this test." And then they give me the test and they go, "You're fine." So, I've done several different kinds of those where they go, "Hey man, great news. You're you're great." And I'm like, "Yeah, but I came in here because I was in pain." And they go, "Hey, I don't know. You're fine." So, but that's what I want to hear. I like just knowing I'm fine. I don't I do not like the doctor. And uh, so, a lot to talk about. Because, well, I'm going to do this. Where we've been, where we're going. Where they going? Where they been? Where they going? Where, where they been? Where we're going, where we've been. Because the where we've been, where we're going section is a little larger because I did not do a podcast last week. So, I have two weeks of where you beens to talk about and um and where i'm going but i thought you know what the two places that i've been uh, which is atlanta and uh, cincinnati ohio uh, i have a lot that i could talk about not this not just cincinnati in particular but ohio and then also atlanta i feel like i have a long history with these places at least to some degree so i feel like i could get detailed About what's going on with them, um, and just see where that takes us. Tell some stories about it. See what's going on with it. Um, But first, we'll say where I'm going this weekend: the 18th and the 19th, just Friday and Saturday. I'll be in uh, Salt Lake City, Utah. Uh, I really like Salt Lake City. I like Utah in general. The first time I went to Utah, I flew into. To Salt Lake City, and I rented a car and drove to Orem. I think it's Orem. Oh man, now I don't know. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna look it up here. I'm wearing the shirt right now. It is Orem, Utah, to Utah Valley University, where I did a corporate uh, a college gig. My first time ever doing a college gig, and it was in Orem, Utah. So I flew out there, and then I drove about an hour south to Orem, Utah. Andy Erickson, another comic, very funny. Uh, me and her were doing the gig. But we arrived separately, so I just was going to get to the gig early, try to go in, get some, you know, get some snacks from the food court at the college, and none of that was happening. It was this place was shut down. So I, I called them, and they're like the people running the gig, they were like, we're at Applebee's. Do you want to come out here? And I was like, all right, I guess so. So I came to an Applebee's. It was a huge table of people, all the college students, Andy Erickson at one end. Now I'm at the other end and they're all Mormons. um, And they acted like they wanted me to ask them a bunch of questions about being Mormon. And I don't have a lot of questions about it because I don't think it's weird Um I like all like religious fundamentalist groups like (laughs) religions that get together and like they care about what they believe and they care about their families and they uh, want uh, they care about their values. I love that stuff. I almost don't care what religion it is on. You know, I mean, if you've listened to the podcast, you know that I'm Christian and I care about Christianity the most. But I love these places, these just people that, like, we're religious, we care about our beliefs, and um, and you can see it on us. Uh, I love it. So, but this was the best Applebee's I had ever been to. I mean, it was, the service was great. It was clean. The, I mean, it was like, Orem, Utah has the best Applebee's. So, I did that gig. A lot of fun. So... That was my first time to Salt Lake City. I drove around the city a little bit just to see it. And since then, I've been to the club, Wise Guys, where I'm going this weekend. This will be my third time. And I went there the first time, December of 2019, before uh, COVID and before the masked-up world that we live in. Uh, And it was unbelievable. I did a a bunch of uh, filming, and I I got a bunch of footage— And I was working on putting that together the other night, but then I just never finished it. I was hoping to get the video done before I go to Salt Lake City. But I actually like to get a few better stand-up clips of myself and, and really put that thing all together. But it's amazing. I mean, I don't necessarily get down with all of what the Mormons believe, but what an amazing city. And my wife makes fun of me because I came back talking about Utah women. And I just, I loved how these Mormon women dressed. They were just like very modest in um, long dresses. uh, And I was just, I was into it. I was like, the people are polite here. Um, The homeless people must have it made. And then the audiences, on the other hand, at Wise Guys, were not Mormon audiences from what I can understand. And they're great, though. I mean... Uh, it's all great. Everything about the city's great. I went to a barbecue place, had some brisket, really great. Uh, one thing I didn't like, I went to a souvenir shop. And you know how people are always looking for a way to sell something, right? So Salt Lake City, S-L-C, and then Utah is U-T, right? So they were trying to sell these mugs and different things, but they were trying to get rid of the C and just do Salt Lake, Utah, so SL. Ut, so they're really trying to push the slut merchandise i don't know why that that seems like a good thing but i guarantee some girl out there is like oh this is me (laughs) or some somebody's like oh this would be perfect for janice so i can't wait to go back i'm very excited i love utah Oh, I went back this year in May, uh, so I was not there that long ago. I went back this year in May, and it was a world of difference. We were fresh into the virus, and people were just coming back after two months of being shut down, and everybody still believed it was real at that time. <laughs> I can't resist things like that. I know that upsets people, I don't, uh, and I don't think it's fake, but I— um, Uh, And believe me, I mean, people email, I mean, because I've talked about this enough now to where I get a lot of emails from people about how real the coronavirus is or how I should be wearing a mask. And then I I posted a video on TikTok. uh, I posted it on all my social medias, but on TikTok, my video about COVID symptoms has gotten like 2.4 million views now. And I've gotten lots of comments, positive, mostly positive. Mostly people like me that are like, we're not saying it's fake, but we're tired of this BS, you know. And, uh, but I get a lot of other people like, oh, you wouldn't be laughing if you were working in a hospital, you know. And it's like, (laughs) well, I don't know. I saw a video of some doctors and nurses dancing on the street yesterday, so I I don't know. I mean, it seems like they're having a pretty good time. I mean, all of my friends that work in the medical industry are like... (sighs) pretty happy they have great lives they're not they don't tell me how exhausted they are Um, but enough of that right i got one really kind of hateful email and then the guy apologized later about mask and uh uh yeah i mean i just am in a different place in my life you know and i'm like if if this if this thing had happened in uh you know I don't even know what year it is, but let's say um, two thousand twelve. Two thousand twelve, Dusty, is a lot different of a Dusty than two thousand twenty Dusty. I had a lot, a lot of opinions, and I had no career, so I did not mind sharing them. And I, uh, and there's a, there's a beautiful thing about that. In two thousand twelve, I quit my job selling pesticides, as you know, if you've listened to the podcast. And I was waiting tables three days a week, and I was hosting trivia two nights a week and running an open mic. I mean, cancel culture didn't exist. We were just living our lives, just having a good time. We could go on Facebook, share an opinion, argue with every friend we've ever known, and then walk away. It was a beautiful time. All right, so that's where I'm going Salt Lake City. It's going to be great. If you live in or around the area, I hope you come. Right now, I'm wearing my Utah Valley University Wolverines T-shirt. It's gotten very small, and the lettering has has worn, is beginning to wear off because I wear the shirt a lot. I need a new one. If you're coming up from Orem, bring me one of those shirts. I'll pay you for it. I'm looking for a medium. I'd like some kind of soft material. Don't come in with, with a real hard, dry shirt. I'll pay you for it, or I'll trade you for a hat or a shirt, whatever you want to do. All right, so, and then we'll start in, in reverse. So, I don't know if that that's right, but last week, I was in Liberty Township, Ohio, which is considered the Cincinnati Funny Bone, but it's, you know, just about, I don't know, 30, 45 minutes north of Cincinnati. I had done the old Cincinnati Funny Bone, which was in... Uh, Newport, Kentucky. So at least we're in the same state now. And I had a great time. I had never done this club. And I've had a kind of a, I don't know. uh, I did uh, St. Louis uh, a little while back. And we had good turnouts. But some of the shows were a little weird. I think people were, you know, they're like, we're, our city's about to get shut down. And we're trying to get drunk. And we're frustrated. And then I took two weeks off. And then I did... Atlanta which I'll tell you about and so I'm like I was getting concerned that new virus talk was really scaring everyone away but Liberty was fantastic I mean the shows were pretty packed um I had you know they they came to life uh the host Doug Morgan did a great job he said he had not done comedy since like the initial shutdown in March um So it was good for him to get out. I took um, Connor Larson with me. Connor did great. Connor was crushing. And uh, it was just a lot of fun. I took Hannah. Hannah went with me and stayed the weekend. And uh, yeah, we had a blast. It was a town. They had a 10 o'clock curfew. So it was too cold to sit outside and smoke cigars. So my normal ritual of things was was broken up a bit. But I was coming off uh, a week of not feeling well. So it was probably good to rest altogether. I ate very lightly. Great shows. Great staff there at the Liberty Funny Bone. They were all so nice. And this is what I want to talk about Ohio a little bit. For 10 years, I lived in Charleston, South Carolina. And upon moving to Charleston in 2003, I was coming from Alabama, and I knew nothing about the world. This is what I knew about Ohio. When I was, when I was younger, my sister now, her she started dating a guy from Michigan. She met this guy, um me my mom and my two sisters when when we were little my sister was 17 and she's 11 years older than me so that would make me six we all went to decatur oh uh decatur uh atlanta i don't know if it's i don't know if it's decatur georgia or decatur alabama i don't know doesn't matter we went there to visit my uncle And he was working at a hotel. My uncle's always worked in hotels. So wherever he moves to, that's where we go on vacation to. So he was living in Decatur, Alabama, I believe. And we went up there just to hang out. We're hanging out at the pool. You know, they got an indoor pool that you can swim under the glass and you're in an outdoor pool. I believe there was a high dive. I could be wrong about that. That could have been a water park that we visited in the same weekend and it all just blends together. And my sister meets this guy, and then they exchange uh, addresses, and then they begin to write each other, and then he starts to visit me, and then they start dating. And now he is my brother in law. He's been, so they've been married for years, years and years, over 20 years. Um, But he's from Michigan, and he went to the University of Michigan. So, growing up, it was like I was in the thick of the two rivalries, right? I mean, my mom was an Auburn fan. My dad was an Alabama fan. And then my brother-in-law was a Michigan fan. So, he brought me all this, like, hand-me-down Michigan gear. I remember I had a, a Michigan basketball jersey. I had all this Michigan stuff. I have shirts. I have, I have school pictures. Uh, one of them is me in a Michigan sweater, And I just always had Michigan gear, right? And so I grew up (coughs) not liking Ohio State football. Like, Ohio State was, you know, the rival for me. That was the second rival. It was like, uh (coughs) I grew up liking both Alabama and Auburn, but, but then also simultaneously hating them both. And then I liked Michigan And didn't like ohio state so that's just a little brief history but all i knew about ohio that's it that's all i knew and i thought ohio was just one giant city and they were all uppity and i couldn't stand them but then uh, i moved to charleston south carolina in 2003 and it seemed like the city of charleston hated people from ohio I mean, I had a roommate, my first roommate after my friend Joey was from Ohio. I don't remember where he was from, Adam Epstein. I don't remember what part of Ohio, maybe just outside of Cleveland. Um, And I think he went to Ohio University, not the University of Ohio, but Ohio University. And I got that mixed up. And I remember telling my brother-in-law that he went to the University of Ohio. And my brother-in-law just had a look of disgust on his face. And i couldn't believe it i was like wow i had no idea the hate ran that deep and so and then as i went on in charleston the the city paper the charleston city paper they put out an article one time and the cover of the magazine the newspaper said go back to ohio like i guess so many people were moving from ohio to charleston that the people in charleston were so frustrated with ohio people and i was just like wow what's going on with ohio And then I started around 2015. I started to get gigs in Ohio, and my first trip to Ohio, I was doing the Hard Rock Cino outside of Cleveland. I was opening for a guy named Frank Roach. I was the feature. I think my the host that weekend was Chad Zumach. I'm pretty sure, and and I remember driving up. And having my uh, my my paradigm shattered, as I thought that Ohio was just one giant city, I realized that it's a farming community. Uh, mostly, the most of the state is farms, and I'm like, oh, I love Ohio. And then I go up to the Hard Rock Casino. I was, uh, you know, I was still single at the time. I was on Tinder. I got around. I got around the city a little bit. Saw some people. Hung out with some people. Had a good time and had some good shows it was a lot of fun it was snowing it was wild and i saw a bumper sticker as i was passing on the interstate and the bumper sticker said stuck in ohio and i was like man people really hate living in ohio people in ohio hate it people outside of ohio hate it and so this goes on but as the years have gone by I realized that Ohio is really one of my favorite places to do comedy. I mean, think about this. It's my favorite state to do comedy, I think. They have Dayton, Ohio, Toledo, Cleveland, Cincinnati, and Columbus. Those major cities. All of those major cities have comedy clubs. All of those comedy clubs have brought me in this year, with the exception of Cleveland, but that's only because... It got dropped due to the virus. But even with the virus, I've been to all these other cities this year. Um, I met some great people outside of Columbus. uh, I had a couple of friends uh, that came out and, 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 and took me out to lunch. John and Shannon, England. And we had a great time. And I just, I like to stay. I'd, I don't know. I feel like my stories are kind of just trailing off now but uh, because I'm forgetting some stuff. But, you know, uh, I remember one time I, when I was opening for um, Frank Roach, I had a friend, Dave Davis, who who hired me at Hyman's, had now moved back to Ohio, another Ohio person that I didn't know, that I didn't know that I knew. And uh, I knew Dave Davis as a – he was kind of a kung fu guy, right? He was all into the Tai Chi and, you know, just just amazing – Uh, Oh, I got a story. Um, When I first moved to Charleston, Dave Davis is who hired me. It was Dave Davis and his um, cousin, Buddy. Charles was his name, but he went by Buddy. And they were both managers at Hyman's. And I got to hanging out with them, and they were kind of kung fu guys. And I remember going over to their house, and we would train for kung fu. Like, we would just do a lot of really intense physical exercise they kind of lived in the attic of this house, just divided by sheets. It was almost like a hostel in a sense. And then after we would do that, we would all sit around the fire and drink beer and smoke black and Miles. Buddy didn't drink, but, but Dave, who previously didn't drink, had started to drink with me. And... uh but Dave was an, uh, an older man. I mean, he was, so I always think about that and I think, sometimes I'll think, did I get Dave drinking again? But I'm also like, Dave was a grown man. Dave is responsible for his own actions. I was a 21-year-old kid looking to drink with anybody. But we used to have such a great time. And Dave apparently, you know, was revered by everybody in this kind of Kung Fu community that he was really, really something. And uh, during that time, I was drinking a lot, and uh, I was always causing problems in the city. You know, I'd get out, I'd be drinking in Charleston, I'd talk, I love to talk trash. I love to get to, to uh, just a couple of inches away from a fight. I mean, I like to push it to till we were like, we're about to throw blows, and then, then we don't throw the blows. That's what I liked. I enjoyed that intensity. I don't know why, but drinking, I really enjoyed that. So I would push a lot of people to that, and I and I walked around feeling pretty brave. But sometimes I would do, you know, some quote unquote CBD and uh, hint hint, and uh, I would go out into the world. And when I I like to say that if I if 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 my normal personality is a five, when I'm drinking, it's a seven to a ten. And when I'm on, quote unquote, CBD, it's a it's it's a three or below. Like I'm like, as far as like being brave, being outgoing, having things to say, I'm way down. So I did a little CBD, and I went to watch a jazz concert with one of my friends. Was in musical appreciation in in college, and he needed he had to go see this concert for his class. And he was like, I don't want to go. And I'm like, oh, I do want to go. That sounds fun. So we both had a little CBD and then we went to the college. And I was sitting there and I started to get super paranoid. And I started, my mind started racing and I started to go, what if I see one of these people out here that I've caused so many problems with and then I'm in this state of mind and this state of being, what kind of situation is going to arise here i'm going to find myself uh faced with a guy who met drunk dusty and now he's meeting cbd dusty i'm not going to be ready so in that moment i'm in my seat and i say a prayer i just pray to god that i don't see any of these people that there are no problems that i'll be safe the moment i finish my prayer i open my eyes and i see dave davis at this concert and, and immediately, I, I'm like, thank you, God, <laughs> right? Because I'm like, Dave Davis is my friend. Dave Davis is the revered kung fu guy. If a fight breaks out, I go, Dave, Dave. And then Dave jumps over, you know, several rows and comes to my aid. And uh felt great. So Dave had moved back to Ohio. And I message him on Facebook and I say, Dave, I'm doing comedy outside of Cleveland. Come see me. So he says, yes, he, and he will. Now I've quit drinking it by this time, but Dave and his cousin show up. Now, Dave, as I've said, has always been Kung Fu Dave. Very, it's just, you could see in the way he moved that he was more, uh, a bit more of a mysterious kind of guy. But he is from rural Ohio. So he brings another cousin of his, and his other cousin is total redneck very nice guy, but total redneck, and he's getting drunk, and so Dave and his cousin sat right up front row, I come out, Dave and his cousin, they don't heckle me the whole time, but they talk to me the whole time, they, they, they're like, we're friends, and we're in on the joke, my entire 30 minutes, I had to start ignoring them, just so I could get through my set so the moment I come off the stage I go grab and then now the headliners got to come out and I'm like I don't want because I, I got them free tickets right so I'm like I don't want the people that I got free tickets for to be ruining the show so I grabbed them I go come on let's go hang out and then we just hung out in the casino for the rest of the night it was a lot of fun that was a long story to get you there but you know what i feel like the long of the story that we found was better than the actual story all i was going to tell you was how dave was heckling me throughout the show but it was actually better the the other story was much better but i always liked Dave davis i i I need to look him up and call and buddy too they were great i mean we used to train kung fu all the time i don't know any of it anymore but we used to do that all the time that was a lot of fun the early days of charleston were a mysterious time for me because you know, I was, you know, raised super country, but I had begun to find all these different things. I was finding books on Buddhism and different religions and, and 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 different ways of life. And I had begun to find Wes Anderson movies. And I just, I liked this weird kind of mysterious world. There was a book called The Way of the Peaceful Warrior. And I, I read that in the early 2000s. And I just wanted to be, so Dave Davis really fit right into my life at that time. I wanted to be this kind of guy that was more reserved and, and that had uh, you know a wisdom. I was reading the Bible and reading uh, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, and it's just like I loved the whole wisdom of things and, and, and the idea of knowing something greater than what's right around us. I really always love that so during that time you know I'm I'm writing I'm always thinking I'm writing a, a a movie and I'm filming and making weird videos and I I really should get back into some of that stuff I mean I re- one time I was I had I had I took some pills and I uh, was drinking and I went back to my house on folly and no one was home or either my roommate was asleep. And I filmed myself, um, I did two separate videos. One, I filmed of me making an omelet and then eating the omelet. And then the other, I filmed me making uh, a sandwich and then eating the sandwich, right? It seems pretty stupid, but, and it was. But what I did was, you know, I'm like doing different camera angles of me slicing the cheese. and placing the meat on the sandwich so you got different angles and then I sat down to eat it but what I did was I sped it up when I was editing I sped the whole thing up so it was like me making a sandwich really fast but then I played super slow sad music and I did it in black and white all while I was drunk and then I edited it later right so it's just like it 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 I played the song, uh, a Sufjan Stevens album called Come On, Feel the Illinois. And that is the way it's spelled. And uh, it's a come on, feel the noise, that song, but a play off the, the name Illinois. Come on, you know, anyway, very sad stuff. One of the songs I know is called John Wayne Gacy. I don't remember what the other one is called, but I love the songs. But I it, the video is long enough to play two songs. And it was just the saddest thing. But I love this kind of stuff. I used to write scenes all the time. I would carry a notebook around with me and I would write movie scenes. I had my all these uh, things. And, you know, I, I had no idea what I was doing. I mean, I was working at Hyman's and selling pesticides uh, and drinking a lot. But I was trying to really become this artsy person. I remember always seeing artsy people and being like, "I want to be, I want to be an artsy person." But I always just felt too rural, right? I'm like, I'm too country to be that artsy. I'm too artsy to be country. Too country to be artsy. I've said something like that before. My friend Cody Avant uh, really liked that, um, and. Um, now I feel like I've found a good balance, but I, I feel like sometimes I've lost a bit of that artsy side, you know, becoming a, a grown adult. But I, I... So Dave was just a, the perfect person for me to meet in that moment, and I enjoyed hanging out with him and Buddy a lot. I mean, they left Charleston pretty fast after I got there, but we we had a lot of fun. They were around some of my early days of comedy. And so just in general, Ohio has become a fun place for me to go, a fun place for me to perform. And uh, I appreciate you guys. That's all I'm saying. I appreciate you coming to my shows. I've said this a million times, I know. But growing up in the South, and, 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 and not just the South. I can't put it all on the South. I mean, I think this was a lot of just my family. Uh, growing up the way I grew up, not traveling much, not having a family that really talked about the rest of the country much, and having an uncle, not the same uncle, who quote-unquote hated Yankees, um, I had a pretty skewed perspective. I thought that everybody in the South lived in farms and was poor, even though there were rich people all around me. (laughs) But... Uh, And then everything above the Mason-Dixon line was all cities and crime and corruption and that if you went into the cities, you would get stabbed and killed. And I think that is due to one or two trips that I took to Atlanta, and I'll tell you why that makes sense. Uh, Growing up, Atlanta was the closest city to us, the closest big city. I mean, even Atlanta was two hours from Opelika, a little less. But Birmingham was a little less than two hours. Montgomery was an hour, but Montgomery was still a very small city. Atlanta was the closest big city. And I remember, I feel like the first trip I went to Atlanta, we went to a Braves game. And it's just like nothing bad happened. But it's just big city, overwhelming. We're like on a train. I remember we went to the airport when I was a kid. I think a guy my mom was dating was flying back to Maine. And she had a toy gun of mine in her purse. And they took the toy from us. Um, And then another time when I was about 18, I went to Atlanta with, my friend Chris Clearman and his girlfriend at the time, Jessica Thomas. And this was actually a great trip, but I'll tell you what scared me. Uh, Also, I had been to underground Atlanta a couple of times. I thought that's what the city was. Okay? Um, So I had no idea all of the great things that Atlanta had to offer because I had been to underground Atlanta. But... This one time I went to Atlanta with Chris and Jessica, we went to the Hard Rock Cafe. Now, this was, when I was 18, what was that, 2000? Hard Rock Cafe was still very cool back then. And we went there, and I remember walking in, and we're on a bit of a wait, and the song In the Air of the Night by Phil Collins is playing. It's on the TVs. The music is blaring. When you live in Opelika in the 2000s and beyond, the best restaurants were Applebee's and Western Sizzlin'. Now, there might have been some secret good restaurants that I didn't know about. Maybe there's some wealthy person from Opelika listening to this podcast going, ha, 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 you don't know the good ones, and that could be true. But to me, Applebee's, Western Sizzlin', uh, Golden Corral, uh, you might even throw Captain D's in there. I don't know. Those were the good restaurants to me. So I'm in this place and I'm like, "Wow, this is cool, man!" And chances are we're on CBD. And uh, so we walk in. We're a little foggy, you know. The air of the night's playing by Phil Collins, uh, and all of a sudden that drum so- part plays at the end where he's like, do 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 do," right? And right when he does that on rhythm, a guy in the kitchen bangs on the side of the stove right at that time, and I'm like. Boom, this is the greatest song in the world. And we had such a good time eating fried food in there. And then we left and we're walking, and the streets had become very homeless. Uh from the time we went in there to the time we left, it become very homeless, and I am freaked out. Guys are coming up from everywhere being like, hey, can I get a cigarette? Can I get a cigarette? Can I get a cigarette? And I'm just like, whoa, this is scary. And then a guy, one guy, I'm having a cigarette, and this guy goes, can I have a cigarette? And I, you know, I had not dealt with homeless people at all at the time. And the guy, I go, "Now this is my only one. He goes, can I have that one? And I ended up giving the guy my lit cigarette because I was freaked out. So that's my perception of cities, right? I'm just like, get me back to the country. But as the years go on, I begin to go back Oh, this is another place. When we were 18, me and my friends, we used to like to drive to Little Five Points in Atlanta, uh, which is a little more commercialized now. But the early 2000s, we used to go there, and it was a very hippie-type place, hippie, homeless-type place. Just a bunch of stores where they sold weed pipes, and I remember there was a pizza place. I mean, it really fit that uh, artsy vibe that I wanted to get myself into. Uh, I really like, oh, man, I I remember going to Little Five Points several times and just being blown away by it, being scared but also energized by it, and then also going to Savannah, Georgia with my friend Joey Tomlinson. All at that time and I was like, oh, this art world is, I wanted to go so bad, I wanted to go to Savannah College of Art and Design someone from that school came and visited us uh at my school my senior year and i was like oh man that is what i want to do i didn't know what i wanted to do in the arts world but i was like this is what i want to do i love to create things when i was in high school i used to i used to build modeling things out of modeling clay and then we would fire it in the kiln and i just love it i'm gonna buy a kiln i could never find anyone to fire anything for me so i completely abandoned. Doing things with clay, but um, now that uh, I don't know, I think that I looked up some prices for kilns. I think I could buy a kiln now, and I want to buy one. And uh, I'm just looking to create things, and I'm, you know, and so, but those things were just really all falling right into place for me at the time, and 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 Atlanta was always a cool but kind of mysterious place to me, and then after moving to Charleston, after getting the first, my full-time job at, I've told this story, but after getting my full-time job at Specterside, the first sales meeting was in Atlanta. I drank and partied a bunch there. Went to a Hooters in Atlanta. It was an unbelievable, still the best Hooters I've ever been to. And then I went to a strip club there where, uh, you know, the guy that I, if you want to hear this full story. I think that's the episode one of, I used to sell pesticides, but I spent way too much money in the strip club for nothing. I think if you tell people you spent too much money in a strip club, they think you really did something in there, but no, for nothing. And, uh, I've spent, uh, less money for more in a strip club and still was nothing by the way, (laughs) but, uh, I do not enjoy the strip club as a non drinker. Uh, when I was a drinker, you know, obviously everything looks great and amazing. But, okay. So, Atlanta. I wrote a bunch of stuff down to talk about Atlanta. Um, so, let's just kind of go, go here throughout. Um. So... All right, so this past trip, let's go right into that. The past trip to Atlanta, the punchline. I was just there in September, and now I'm back in December. That is the fastest turnaround that I've ever had in a club. And my turnouts were low. I don't know that it was all totally me. um, But I'm not going to, I'm not blaming anyone. The turnout was very low. We had, I did seven shows. That's also probably part of the problem. We did way too many shows. And uh, people weren't turning out. I mean, we had people at every show. And then we had one really packed show. So we had one really good show. And I think, I think it's a combination. I was just there. Uh, the weather was turning cold. And people are freaked out about the virus. And I don't think there was a lot of good promotion done. And then my hotel, the Wi-Fi didn't work. And the elevator didn't work. It's like an old joke that I had. But I was on the fourth floor... But the way you had to park, you had to park on the parking level. So it was really like I was on the fifth floor. So checking in, I had to make two trips up five flights of stairs to get my luggage in. And then every night after the show, I like to have some CBD and have a cigar. When the show's all over, I like to relax and I like to ponder. And I would sit. It was cold, so I would sit in the car I've ruined the smell of the car, but I would set out in the car with the heat on and have a cigar. And then once I'm completely relaxed, I would walk up five flights of stairs and think I was having a heart attack. So that was rough. But I, all right, so I'm going to tell more about the weekend that I was there. Um, uh, Chance, Willie, opened for me, um, featured for me there, and uh, Catherine Blanford was our host. Both did an excellent job, both very funny. Chance was crushing it. Chance and Connor, Nashville guys, they're on fire. They're, um, uh, and Aaron Weber, too. I mean, I, these are all three people that are I've seen come up in the Nashville scene, and they're all on fire. I mean, I just did a show. Uh, I just did, uh, two weeks ago, I did a weekend with Chance. This past weekend, I did a, a, a weekend with Connor. Uh, Monday, I did a show with Aaron, and Aaron followed me on this show in uh, at uh, the New Material Monday at Zaney's, and I had a great set. I mean, I had a hot set. And then Aaron came up right after me, and he, like, bumped it up a notch. I mean, he had a hot set. I mean, these guys are on fire. If you're, if you're looking for people to come to your club, if you're, if you're somehow a booker or a club owner listening, these guys are on fire. Aaron Weber, Connor Larson, Chance Willie, Check them out. Catherine Blanford in Atlanta did a great job as the host. Um, and it was a really good weekend in that sense. We just needed more people in the audience. But Chance, on the first night, we were there, gets his window broken in the parking lot so we got to start off on that note but honestly the first show was really good both of the shows friday were good i mean saturday it's like you just keep coming in and then you keep seeing like oh less people oh and then it's like it's hard to get motivated when a lot of people aren't there and part of my problem too is i know what people pay for tickets right so if you buy a ticket and then there's not a lot of people in the audience Chances are it's not going to be as good of a show if if it as if we had a lot of people in there. And that's not my fault. I can't. I just know that it's not going to be good. It's like I can't make it better. When there's a bunch of people in the audience, I come out, I tell jokes, people laugh, and then I tell the next joke, and they laugh, and then we catch a rhythm where I can get into a flow where I'm I can just go boom, 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 and just hit you with jokes. But when there's not a lot of people in the audience, you you don't get those laughs because there's not a lot of people. So it's tough to get into that rhythm. And then, so I just try to default and do different things. And sometimes it works. Sometimes the different thing works. And even if it's a small amount of people, you can really get them on board. But other times, uh, you're just like, I don't know what to do here. Because it's a small amount of people and they're not giving you laughs. I'm like, I don't know. But Sunday night, was the worst. Okay. Sunday night was the worst. We had a guest spot. I won't name the guest spot person, but I know him and he's, uh, we used to be great friends. Um, I'm not, not his friend anymore, but we're, we're not as good as friends as we used to be. And I've seen him do the sort of thing that he did, uh, at this show. He, I don't know. I, I, no one asked me if he could do a guest spot. They just said, hey, this guy's doing a guest spot, and I said, okay, that's fine. He is a funny guy, so I don't mind it, and, but he's not, he's got five minutes that he's doing, and he's not getting the reaction that he wants, so he begins to scold the audience, which you should never do on a guest spot. First off, I hate guest spots. I hate guest spots, and I'll tell you, for those of you who don't do comedy, uh, a standard comedy show, you have a host who does anywhere from 5 to 15 minutes, depending on the show. Most shows are a 90-minute show. That's how the structure is really laid out. We do 90 minutes. And then, the then depending on what the headliner wants to do, I think a headliner is obligated to do 45 minutes. I like to do an hour. That's what I like to do. So, of 90 minutes, I like to do 60 of those, and that leaves 30. So typically what happens is the host does 10, the feature does 20, and then I do an hour. But when a guest spot comes in, I feel like, all right, well, I'm doing so much time. I'll give that person five minutes of my time. So then you have a host does 10, guest spot does five, feature does 20, and then I'll do 55. It's just already to me, it's too many It's too many changes. It's too much going on. Um, if 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 it's a show where where you know I'm headlining chances are the people even if there's not a lot of people the people that have bought tickets have bought tickets to see me so it's too much to throw on these people before I get up there and especially if it's a small audience so the host does ten and then you bring up the guest spot now i hate guest spots and this is why these these are my two exceptions If I go somewhere and someone says, hey, I'm a comic from out of town and I want to do a guest spot in this club because I'm trying to get this club to see me so they can book me down the road. I'm in because I support that. That's what I used to do all the time. I used to always, I'm always was trying my best to get a club to see me perform so that I could, you know, get booked at that club. I totally support that. And then the other, hey, I'm doing something and I need to practice my five minutes. Like I'm doing a tonight show. I'm doing a late night. I'm trying to uh, get myself a, a uh, comedy, uh, a, a festival video or, you know, anything like that. I'm practicing for a festival. I'm like, okay, I support it. But just people who live in a town who are like, you mind if I go up and do five minutes? It's like, you just wasted my time. You're wasting everybody's time it's like you just want to go up and do comedy and i get it but you live here in this town you can create your own stage opportunities so i hate them so so that's this situation and then you go and then to go up and then scold the audience because see it's like if you if i'm on stage i'm obligated to do my amount of time if i end up getting frustrated with the audience that's on me because but i got to be up there when you ask for the time and you don't have to be up there, all you got to do is get off. Just do that. Don't scold the audience. So anyway, we started on that note, and then, and then chance has to come up. And chance had, you know, he did he did a really great job. But there's one girl who we've determined was on Xanax and drinking. Begins to yell out. She begins to just be, just she won't stop talking. And in the way the punchline's set up, there's one particular table that seems to have a spotlight on the table. So, throughout the weekend, it's like when there's not a lot of people in the audience, that table is part of the focus. That table was always a bit of a problem. So, it was no exception on the last show, the seventh show. And so, Chance had a few problems with it. And uh, and they said some nasty things to Chance. And then I got up there, and I, I thought things were going pretty well for a while. I mean, but for about 30 minutes, I was having a really good set and, uh, you know, considering that there wasn't a lot of people in the audience. But then towards the end, the girl really started to talk. She really started to talk, and she would not be quiet. And I, I would just try, and I, said, I finally said to her, I said, because oh, it, it seemed like we were fighting. And I was like, are we fighting? Are we breaking up? That's what I said to her. Are we breaking up? And then I, you know, I tried to go off on a fun tangent of like, you know, uh, of all the shows I've done. This has never happened. I've never and I would be like, I've done thousands of comedy shows and I've never had this happen. And I've never started dating a girl mid-show, had our first fight, and then broken up. I was just trying to be fun with it. And she starts to yell at me. She starts to yell and she's angry. And I was like, I don't know why she won't stop talking. And I couldn't get the rest of the audience on board to kind of laugh at her. Like, I don't want to be mean to her, but I I wanted the audience to kind of laugh at her. So then we could get into it and it could be a fun moment. She's yelling. I'm making jokes about it. They're laughing. It's fun. And there are four people. I mean, and there's that's the table of four. The other three people seem to be enjoying it, other than the girl's husband who had already gotten in trouble for vaping in the room. They don't want to kick people out. I don't want them to be kicked out. But the girl eventually would not stop talking. And I finally said, all right. Either she's got to go or I'm going to go ahead and end my set. Like, I'm like, I, I could, because I was at time. I could end at any point. But I was like, I want to do more jokes. I want this audience to get their money's worth. I know what they paid for a ticket. And so the table after the bouncer goes over, Reggie, who's very nice. Um, but Reggie's not, he's like the sound guy slash bouncer. I don't know what Reggie's fighting skills are, but I know he probably can handle himself, but he's a real normal, like, chill guy. So he goes over, and she's like, don't touch me, don't touch me, and and I'm like, all right. And eventually they get up. The four of them all get up. Two of them seem very embarrassed. Even one of the guys sent me a message on Instagram apologizing. And then when I wrote him back, uh... Uh, I don't know I wrote him back trying to be you know very cool about it and then I felt like I didn't really get the response from him I wanted but it's fine it doesn't make any difference um the um and then as they were leaving somebody said something about the chocolate cake on their table and I, I uh uh They were like, oh, that's a good piece of cake there. I was like, oh, that is a good piece of cake. Somebody should have ate that cake. And then this girl says something. The girl that's leaving that's on Xanax, was like, "Uh, somebody is going to eat it, you effing piece of shh. You know what I mean? I'm not trying to cuss on here, but get into the rhythm of that effing piece of shh. And you'll know what she said, and she yelled that out. And I have no idea what happened. So that was how I ended the weekend, and then, <laughs> and then I was, and then I had stomach problems for a week. So, um, but I had um, a great time in Atlanta. I went to Bagelicious. Bagelicious. Did I had? Did I add this? Nah, no. Nah, I thought I had the food on the road button in there, but Bagelicious in Atlanta. If you're ever in Atlanta, I don't know what side of town that is. Type it in. It's more on the uh, Marietta side of town. Uh, apparently I was in there now, my friend Evan Burke, um, his family showed me, you know, they're Jewish and they showed me bagelicious and, um, bagelicious is really great. It's one of my favorite places. So I was in there eating with my friend, uh, RJ Nelson and chance we were eating. And then a lady walks by and she throws up the hand. She has a mask on. So if I know her, I don't know how I know her. Uh, because i don't know who she is because she has a, a full mask on and she waves and she goes we're having a good time right and i go that's normally an indicator that they've seen my comedy right or people just want me to know they're having a good time but she says we're having a good time and i love it right and i was like oh she's like i text my husband and told him you're here he was so excited and i was like i was like well this is the best place i love to come to this and she said Go where the Jews go. <laughs> That's what she said, and uh, I couldn't. I couldn't disagree more. I mean, I I, <laughs> I couldn't agree more. I love Bagelicious. It is so good. What I like to get is an everything bagel with uh, pastrami. I put a little mustard on there, and then I they have these great pickles, and I just think it's unbelievable. Okay, and then I was invited to a place by Floasis. Uh It's a, a float tank in Atlanta. It's new. I had done this before in a place called Bozeman, Montana, and I think that place has closed down since then, so I don't mind saying this, but... The float tank where you sit in—you're supposed to sit in salt water and then you're supposed to float—and you, you know—and it's like uh, it's supposed to be this amazing, relaxing thing. I had heard about it and I'd wanted to do it forever, so I found one in Bozeman and I was like, "Oh, I'm going to do that." And I don't know if my expectation was too high or what, but it did not live up to the expectation. I still enjoyed it, but it kind of killed my vibe on it. But then I listened to a podcast the other day called something like Floatverse. It's conspiracy, political, um, but it was a lot of fun. And uh, so the guy was talking about it. He was talking about taking edibles and doing DMT and all this. And I was like, I don't know if I want to do all that, but he owned a float tank. Center. And I was like, I want to do that again. And then a guy in Atlanta from a place called Flowasis, right across from the punchline, reached out to me and said, Hey, I want to give the headliners a free float. And I was like, Fantastic. So I was like, I want to do it. So I went on Sunday and I got to, I sat in the sauna, which I love a sauna. That is my favorite thing. I want to buy a sauna too. I need to make some money. But the asana and a kiln that's what i'm looking for if you're looking for a gift for me for the holidays make it a sauna or a kiln (laughs) and uh the um so i sat in the sauna for 30 minutes and then i got in this float tank for an hour you get in it's like a, a seashell you lay down in the water there's so much salt in it you float even though it's like a foot of water And then I closed the lid. It's completely dark in there. And I just laid there and floated for an hour doing nonstop deep breaths. I totally went into a meditative state. I was totally like... I mean, because when I was in Bozeman, I was like, all right, I'm ready to get out of here. I'm about ready for this to end. But in Atlanta, I was like, I could have done this for another hour. I was just complete deep breaths they say deep breaths enough of that can actually be a detox for you too so I think that was also happening with me last week I think I was in just total detox mode and wow I was I mean it was unbelievable and so I did that and then followed that up with that awful Sunday show um and so what I wanted to talk about was some of my history with Atlanta. Um, And I did talk about that already a little bit, but I wanted to talk about, like, kind of the history of comedy. I think my first Atlanta show I did was in 2012. We did uh, Evan, Evan Burke, my friend Evan Burke, who's also... Uh, just getting his own place in Nashville. He's staying with me right now, but starting in January, he's getting his own place in Nashville, East Nashville. He's hosting all month at the comedy bar. Evan is is ready to bring a fire to the Nashville comedy scene too. He's going to bring a spark. I know he's going to be uh, a real positive force here. I mean, uh, Nashville is becoming a comedy city. It is, this Monday we had a show at Zaney's called New Material Monday. We had Nate Bergazzi there, Josh Wolf there, uh, Theo Vaughn stopped by. He didn't do comedy. Um, and then we had a hot lineup of comedians here on the scene. I mean, it's it's blowing up. It's becoming a com. It's already been a comedy city, but it's really becoming one. If we could just get rid of this mass social distance stuff, we would be on fire, and we, it would be unbelievable. Um, So I did um, Evan's... Synagogue, the synagogue that basically his church that he grew up in, we went and did comedy. And Jerry Farber was the headliner of that show. Me and Evan had both had great sets, and then Jerry went up and blew our minds. I had never really seen much live comedy, and Jerry Farber blew my mind. But he liked us. So Jerry Farber invited me and Evan to come do comedy at his club, Jerry Farber Side Door. Now, Jerry Farber Side Door in 2012 is where the punchline is now as part of the Landmark Diner. So we went up, did Jerry Farber's side door. I had a bunch of my family come. Evan had a bunch of his family come. We had a real drunk couple in there. I did a bunch of crowd work with them, which I was very uncomfortable with, and it crushed. I mean, my crowd work crushed. So much so that a guy said after the show, he goes, one of my favorite parts was you messing with that lady. And I'm like, well, that's good, because I've been working on these jokes for four years. Um. And so we did that in 2012, and then 2013, we went back, this time with uh, me, Evan, and Vince Fabra as part of our Low Country Comedy Tour, our first year going to Seaside, Florida, which I did one episode of, and then I never followed up. I think I got bored with that project pretty quick, but I, I may bring some of that back. But 2013, we came back through as part of the Low Country Comedy Tour. That was our second year doing that but our first year actually making it a tour very fun around 2013 november of 2013 i did an open mic at the laughing skull this was my first time ever doing the laughing skull and i did an open mic i stayed with memory Nichols and colin that's not her last name anymore but i don't remember colin's last name um they're very great people the married couple they have kids now uh, funny thing was, I just in 2013 I stayed with them, but I remember being a kid and liking Memory Nichols in school. I liked her. I looked up her phone name, uh, her number in the phone book, and I used to do that all the time as a kid. <laughs> I, I, I hope that other people did too. And I called her and asked her on a date, and uh, she said she already had a boyfriend. Uh, but I did that, and uh, I don't know if she remembers. I don't remind her of that uh, or her husband even though they're very nice, and I think they would think it was funny. Um, but they let me stay at their house, and I did uh, an open mic at the Laughing Skull. Uh, the next night was my first time ever doing a show at Zaney's. Um, but let's see. I'm just going through here. And then 2014... December of 2014, I did my very first feature weekend at the old Punchline. The old, same owners, same people, but the old classic Punchline. I opened for, I featured for Wendy Liebman. Um, I remember uh, Don DePetta doing guest spots. I don't remember who the host was offhand, but I remember Don DePetta. He might have been the host. That might have been how that went down. Yeah, he was the host. And uh, I remember I had... uh, This was, you know, prior to me dating Hannah. I had met a girl at Zany's because I was... The the weekend leading up to that, I was featuring for Moshe Kosher at Zany's. And then I met a girl at that show who lived in Atlanta. And uh, we spent the weekend hanging out together down in Atlanta. And I got to tell you, it was a lot of fun. And uh, a lot of fun. And then in... So, but featuring for Wendy was great. Wendy was really funny, and I just really loved that. I mean, I loved that weekend. It was 2014 was when I was really starting to first get feature gigs and really starting to become a comic. I had made the commitment to go full-time comedy, even though I wasn't making a lot of money, and it was really, you know, really starting to happen, really starting to take off. And then 2015 was the first year that I did the Laughing Skull Festival. And then... Um, It was a contest. Uh, I had uh, 2015 is when I did Last Comic Standing. So I lost, I made it to the final 100 in Last Comic Standing. So I was supposed to be on TV. I never got on TV. A couple of clips of me were there, but not doing comedy. So I made it, I did the Laughing Skull Festival, and I didn't make it past the final 100. So the first round on TV, I was out. So I slept for a couple of hours, I flew home to Nashville, jumped in my car, drove to Atlanta to enter the first round of the Laughing Skull Festival, only to lose in the first round. So, and then 2016, I went back into the Laughing Skull Festival, this time I took Hannah with me, and I lost in the first round, she lost in the first round, and then we both got you know, we got two chances to advance and neither of us advanced and that was a bummer oh that that was a bummer of a weekend we fought a lot and we didn't do well in the competition so meantime I, i'm going back you know i'm going back to the punchline uh hannah's going back to the punchline i opened for tom rhodes i opened for mikey winfield i opened for john heffron I'd do an outdoor show one time just outside of Atlanta. Uh, I don't know. I don't remember what that town was called, but I just know that it was an outdoor show, completely clean, kids in the audience. And at some point, I had to do like 45 to an hour, which I don't know that I had, completely clean. And a train went by. And this train was so loud you couldn't hear me talk. And the train went by for at least five minutes, maybe longer. And it saved me. I was like, oh, that's great. I needed that time back. So, and now, you know, these shows that we're doing at the Punchline now, the Punchline has now taken over Jerry Farber's side door at the Landmark Diner. And so in 2018, I skipped the laugh School 2017. That same weekend, I went and did the Bridgetown Comedy Festival in Portland, which was a lot of fun and really helped me. Doing the Bridgetown Comedy Festival in Portland, I started to get on the industry radar, uh, I guess you say. Like, I got some interest from people. People started to talk to me. I met some people from ABC. I met people from uh, Just for Laughs Comedy Festival. You know, that was starting to happen. Things like that were, were working. So, And then in 2018, I go back and do the Laughing School Festival again. It now is not a competition. But had it been a competition, this might have been my year to win because I was crushing. And it was a great time. And then things really took off for me from there. So, um, so I have, you know, because 2018, I did Laughing Skull Festival. And then later that year, I did Just for Last Condé Festival in Montreal. And then later, two weeks later, I did The Tonight Show. And then I got management. I got agents. 2018 was a unbelievable year for me, and it all started in Atlanta. So I have a wild history with Atlanta. I mean, a lot has gone on there. I mean, I have. Oh, one time, we, uh, me and my friends, drove to Atlanta to meet my friend John Strickland, and this was before GPS. We had some. At best, we had whatever the old thing, Webmaster, whatever it was that they used to print off the computer. At best, we had that. Uh, But I don't even know we had that. And we got lost. We had no cell phones. We got lost. We ended up turning around, coming back. Luckily, we had a little CBD in the car. And we had uh, the album. We had Disc One of The Wall by Pink Floyd. So we rode back from atlanta two hour drive doing cbd listening to that album and analyzing the f out of that whole album and it was great it was great i feel like i don't know if there were more to talk about but i am sorry that i missed last week um after and i and i want to tell everyone that i i appreciate all your emails um about the mark of the beast episode. I mean, that was on a, a that was a bit of an uncomfortable episode for me. Some people said it was scary. Um some people said um that, you know, there was more to it. And, you know, for sure it's both of those things. It's for sure scary and it's for sure and and there's for sure more that could be talked about. I mean, that goes Very deep. And there's more connections. I mean, somebody mentioned that there is a thing about where if you receive the mark of the beast, you will want to die but can't die. And uh, I think that's true, too. Uh, I mean, not not that, you know, I don't know. Um, uh, And it is scary. Um, But um, I guess what I'll say to that is that if that's so scary for you then you're really not paying attention to what's going on in the world i think that we all want to just kind of live in this comfortable world like right like we hope for world peace we pray for world peace like those sorts of things like it's like that's all well and good but the bible really states to us that there is no such thing as world peace And those who come in the name of peace wish to bring you harm. So that's what I say to all of those things. I mean, whenever a politician gets on TV and they tell us, just just do what we say and everything's going to be peaceful and wonderful, it is not true. They wish harm upon us. And uh, people that want to control us never want to give us back control. So any freedom that you lose, you do not get back. And if all that sounds dark and scary for you, that's why I always save this kind of stuff for the end of the podcast. Because, yeah, I just want to have a good time. I do want to just have a good time, and I don't want to get too serious. And I definitely don't want to talk politics, because I think politics is useless. It, it means nothing. But there are serious things going on in the world right now, and I think that we need to be aware of it. I mean, there's a lot of politicians that i see on tv talking about a great reset and i'm like i don't know what that means but i don't know that i want it i just want uh freedom and low taxes i mean that's what i want that's what we should all want more freedom less taxes more freedom less taxes super easy But I just, you know, I see people, and that, and I have a hard time with virus stuff. I have a hard time with the restrictions because I see a lot of people, you know, that are losing their businesses, losing their livelihoods because they're being told that they have to shut down. They're being told that people are are losing family members without being able to see them because they're being told that they can't travel. But then you see politicians who are telling us to wear a mask not wearing masks. You see people telling us, you see people traveling that are telling us not to travel. You see people dining out that are telling us not to dine out. You see a lady who's built her outdoor dining area and then being shut down. Meanwhile, a movie studio has an outdoor dining area that's being allowed. And so I'm just saying it's kind of the old rules for thee, not for me kind of thing. The people in power tell us, well, you can't do this and it's for your safety, but then they get caught doing what they told us not to do, and then they go, I just just have to do better. I'm sorry. Meanwhile, every politician is still getting a paycheck. Your business, your cousin's business, that crazy lady on TV's business is being shut down and they're not getting money but the politicians keep getting money. So that's just something to keep in mind. The politician tells you to shut down, but why, why wouldn't they? Who cares, right? If they shut you down and then they send you money, then they control you. So you should always want to make your own money and you should never want to be locked down. Now I realize that there's people that are afraid, that there's people that are vulnerable. And I think those people should be protected. I think that if you genuinely are afraid, that's okay. It is very a very fearful time, and they've really they've really put the fear on us. So if you're afraid, I get it. But I've been doing comedy since May. I've been I've been doing plane, plane trips. I've been in restaurants. I've been in uh, gas stations. I've been in retail stores and grocery stores and comedy clubs, and I've done all kinds of things. I've not gotten the virus that I know of. Now, if I do get sick and I do have symptoms, I won't be doing those things. I'm not trying to get other people sick. But if I do get sick at this point, it's almost like, well, yeah, of course. I mean, it had to come eventually. But so far it hasn't. I'm very lucky. I'm very happy. And... um, and I appreciate you guys listening. I want to end with this. I'm just going to end with a, just a random story um, that I've always wanted to make a joke, but uh, I just hope that it's funny and we can leave on a light note because I'm feeling good. I feel great. My body feels better than it's felt in a long time. I feel amazing. I had a rough week last week, but now I feel on fire. Um, one time I was with Aaron Weber and we were in a town called Minong, Wisconsin. Um, and it is a very small community, and it is where Jack Link's is located, the jerky. And we were leaving, and I wanted to stop in at this little diner. I wanted to get a coffee, and I wanted to get an egg sandwich to go. I wanted a fried egg sandwich, but I said, just go ahead and fry it hard. I don't want it runny because I'm going to eat it in the car. So the girl running the cash register... Looked like she might have had, you know, like a little bit of a cleft lip. You know what I mean? And that's very sad. I always hate seeing that. So, you know, but she's a, uh, she's probably ten. But and I'm just, she's running the cash register, and I'm just being friendly. I'm being my friendly weird self, trying to have conversation conversation with her. And I tell her about the egg. I say I don't want it too runny because I'm gonna be eating it in the car and. I go, you own this place? You know, and she's not really talking to me. She's smiling a little bit, but she's not really talking to me. And then some guy from a table pops up. She don't talk much, but she, you know, I don't remember what he says. Oh, uh, he don't, she don't talk much, but she's always listening. And I guess this guy's trying to keep me from, I don't know, talking to her. So I'm like, that's fine, whatever. And, and then they bring me the egg sandwich. It's in a to-go box. I've taken it out. The egg is completely running, runny. The girls disappeared. The guy from the kitchen comes out, and he goes, that's a runny egg right there. I'm like, yeah, you just did this. So I stood there, ate the egg sandwich, got in the car, left. That's that whole story, and that's why that joke was never funny. Listen, thank you guys for tuning in. I've had a great time here, and we're having a good time. Come see me this weekend at Salt Lake City.